Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Colossians chapter number three. And we've kind of slowed down just a little bit, taking our time, working our way through these things that Paul tells us as believers in Christ, we are to be putting off. Uh, these are um, certain uh, things that, as believers, we do not need to be living in, walking anymore, because um, we have been changed by the gospel, and we should be uh, no longer living this type of way. So in Colossians chapter 3, our text here is verses 9 through 11, and we'll read that here. It says, Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all heard a story about a pastor who was walking down the street and he noticed uh, he came up a, on a group of about a dozen boys who were all standing around a dog. And uh, the group of uh, kids were probably about uh, 10 to uh, 12 years of age. And the, as they were standing there, the, the pastor was a little concerned that uh, maybe those boys were hurting that animal hurting that dog. And so he went over there and he says, what are you boys doing? One of the boys replied, well, this dog is just an old stray and we all want him, but only one of us can take him home. So we've decided that whichever one of us can tell the biggest lie will get to keep the dog. Pastor shocked by this, he says, you boys don't want to tell lies. And there he went in for about 10 minutes, a short little sermonette about why you shouldn't lie. And he says, don't you, know, don't you know, boys, it's a sin to lie? And he ended with, why, when I was your age, I never told a lie. There was dead silence for about a minute. And just as the pastor was beginning to think he had gotten through to some of them, the smallest boy gave a deep sigh and said, all right, guys, give him the dog. <laughs> the truth is, we all, all of us, all of us struggle with telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In our text here this morning, Paul continues on with this list of sins that we all should be putting away, that we all should be putting off. We should not be living this way anymore. There's actually another parallel to these verses found in Ephesians 4, 22 through 25. We'll look at uh, that here uh, later on. But in verse 25 of Ephesians 4, Paul explains why we must be truthful. And he says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Because I am part of the body of Christ, I must speak truth. Because I am part of the body of Christ, I must speak 
truth. So let's take note here a couple things, why we shouldn't lie. Number one, lying misrepresents and distorts the truth. If we look at our text here, he tells us the command is, do not lie to one another. And he says, you've put off this old self. The old self and its practices was that we would lie to one another. We wouldn't be truthful. We wouldn't tell the truth. And he says, but you have this new self. If you have been born of God, if you have received Christ as your Savior, he says, you have this new self. And he says, we are being renewed after the image of its creator. The truth is, we all struggle constantly to be truthful. If you're not struggling, then you're not truthful. Because our human default mode is to bend the truth to our own advantage. It's reported that if you lie to a congressman, that will land you 20 years in prison. But if a congressman lies to you, he gets two more years in office. There was a study done years ago about lying, and they came to find out that the average person lies 25 times a day. You might be thinking, well, that's not me. Well, just be careful. You might be joining that pastor with that dog, okay? Think of some of the ways that we easily can fall into lying. There's the half-truths. You tell the truth just as far as you go, but you just don't tell the whole truth so that you convey a false impression. We see uh, countless examples of this in Scripture. For example, Abraham did this when he said of Sarah, she is my sister. True, she was his half-sister, but he concealed the most important thing, that that she was also his wife. That kind of changes things a little bit, doesn't it? Similar to the half-truth is the lie of omission, which tempts us all at tax season. You forget to report extra cash income you might have earned. Or a cashier gives you too much change or leaves an item off your bill, but you don't say anything to correct it. Then there's the exaggeration. You stretch the truth just a little bit to make yourself look better or worse than you really are. Then there are what so people call little white lies. These are little untruths that supposedly don't hurt anyone. You could work, but you have other things to do, so you use a mild headache to say you can't go into work. Friend calls you up, and you really don't want to hang out with that friend, and so you say, I got things to do. Right? These are, these are little things that we say so that way we feel like we're not hurting the person, and so we make up stuff. You tell your doctor that you've obeyed his orders when you know you didn't. The dentist asks you if you have been flossing, and you say, I tried to, but in reality, you floss right before you came over. There are lies to cover up for someone else, perhaps your boss or a family member. These are little lies that we tell, and we don't think that they're doing much harm. As Christians, we easily fall into lies of hypocrisy where we try to make others think that we are more spiritual than we really are. You say, the other morning in my quiet time, 
making it sound as if you have a quiet time every single day. But in reality, the truth is, the only time you have quiet time is you, it's the first time you've had quiet time in a few weeks. One of the things that we need to be very careful of, especially now with a lot of social media type stuff, is trying to portray of how spiritual we are when we post things on social media. I'm just as guilty, right? What did Jesus say about all that kind of stuff? If you do this stuff in front of men, what does he say you'll receive? A reward. You get the applause. That's it, right? So we've got to be careful of lies of hypocrisy and things like that. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. What does it mean to have unfeigned faith? It means to have a faith that is sincere and honest, a pure mixture of motives or desires. It means to have a faith in Jesus that is not just an outward display of godliness, but really rotten on the inside. Then there are what we call silent lies, where someone says something complimentary about you that isn't true, but you let it go on anyways without correcting it. There are evasive lies where you change the subject without answering the question, but you leave a false impression. There are polite lies where you say something nice, but very untrue, to avoid hurting the other person's feeling. A pastor whose family couldn't stand fruitcake told the lady who gave them one, fruitcake like that doesn't last long around our house. Closely associated with polite lies is flattery. Flattery is saying things to a person's face that you would never say behind their back. Many people flatter someone to get something from them. Be always leery of the person when they come up to you and they start buttering you up. They want something from you. They really don't care about you. They just want something from you. They tell the person things that they don't really believe themselves. This is a form of lying. And as often comes out with government officials, there are cover-up lies. Where the liar rationalizes that to tell the truth would hurt people or might compromise our government's security. Over the past two years, I believe we have seen this in full display, have we not? Lie after lie after lie, I mean in full display. But the entire Bible, including our text here, make it plain that we must be truthful people. That doesn't mean that we must share all of our thoughts or be brutally honest. We are told in Scripture to speak the truth, but we are to do it in what? In love. That's Ephesians 4.15. 1 Peter 4.8 tells us that love covers a multitude of sins which implies that we should not broadcast everything we know about someone. And the Bible acknowledges that there are rare ethical dilemmas, such as the Hebrew midwives that were lying to protect the Hebrew boys from Pharaoh's murderous edict. Uh, they're in Exodus uh, 1, 15-22. Or how about Rahab, who lied to protect the Hebrew spies in Joshua 2, 4-6. 
When the Lord told Samuel to anoint David as king, Samuel was afraid that King Saul would kill him. And so the, so the Lord told Samuel to tell David's family that he had come to offer a sacrifice, which he did, although it wasn't his real reason for coming. That's found in 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 5. But those kind of situations are infrequent. What Paul says here hits all of us. It hits home to us. Do not lie to one another. Out of the Ten Commandments, commandment number nine in Exodus 20, 16 is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We should not dodge the plain application of that. What, why is lying wrong? And before you think, well, because God told us that it's wrong, I want you to think about who God is. Our God is the God of truth. He is truth. Lying misrepresents who God is. It's an attack on His personal character, who He is. And as his people, we must speak the truth and be honest before God in all of our behavior. But why must we be truthful? Notice our text, what Paul says in verse number 10. Those that are believers must be truthful in order to be like our Savior. We are being renewed in the image of its creator. And so if we want to be like Jesus then that means we have to be truthful. And we should tell the truth. And if we're members of his body, then we must represent him by being truthful. So lying misrepresents and distorts the truth. Here's the second thing. We are to be showing that the gospel has changed us and is at work in our lives. So we should not lie to one another because we should be telling people and showing people this magnificent thing that has happened in our lives, that the gospel has changed us and is continuing to change us. Notice in our text here of how we show that the gospel is at work in our lives. He says, you have, verse number nine, you have put off the old and have put on the new. The uh, parallel passage here, why don't you turn with me over to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 4. You're there in Colossians, you're just going to go back one book, you can come over there to Ephesians 4, and in Ephesians 4, 21 through 25, this parallel passage that goes right along here with Colossians, I want to show you something that's very interesting here. Verse 21, and I want you to take special note of verse 21, verse 22, and verse 24. And you can circle some of these words here that I'll emphasize as well. Ephesians 4, 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught, we were taught, what were we taught in him? The truth that is in Jesus. And what were we taught? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24, 
We were taught to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, did you see that? Did you catch that? In Ephesians 4, Paul says to his readers, you learned this, you were taught this to put off and to put on. You learned it, you were taught it. But here in Colossians chapter 3, he says, you have put off the old self and you have put on the new self. Well, which is it? Is that a contradiction? One says, you're learning this. You've been, you've been taught this. The other one says, you've already done it. Which one is it? It's both. Commentator put this way. This tension between the indicative and the imperative, between the already and the not yet, is common in the Pauline letters. It is summed up in the admonition, be what you are. Be in practice of what the calling of God has made you. So, we're now in Christ, so we should act like it. Stop lying to one another because the gospel has changed you and is changing you. Take notice of that phrase, the old self or the old man, which may read in your uh, translation. This is what we were by nature as fallen children of Adam. We were ruled by sin. God doesn't improve that old man. He doesn't take that old man and say, okay, well, we're just going to kind of, you know, clean you up a little bit, slap some stuff on here and make you good. No, he makes a new creation, a new creature, right? That old man, that old nature, the flesh, it is uh, what it's called in Ephesians 4.22. It's being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And when Christ died on the cross, he put to death the power of that sin nature. We don't have to sin anymore. Why? Because if we are in Christ, we have the power to say no to sin. The grace of God has been revealed to us so that we can say no to unrighteousness. We don't have to live that way anymore. The power of sin has been broken, but the presence of sin is still there. That's why we must put off and be putting on, practicing this, what we really are in Christ. The picture here that Paul uses is that we have laid aside this old man as you would take off dirty clothes and we have put on the new man, which refers to all that we are now in Christ. You know, one of the problems that we have at my uh, house is how I keep my laundry do any of the other guys struggle with this? How about, how about the wives here? Do you struggle with your husband's laundry? I actually have different piles for different things. So, for example, I have clothes that I wear that are dirty clothes because I know I'm going to get them dirty, and so they don't go into the wash. Then I have clothes that I've worn on Sunday and I put them to the side, but I know they might get worn again, so they just go over to the side. Then I have a separate clothes that I know that those are dirty, and those are going to go into the wash. But those sometimes accidentally get mixed in with the dirty clothes that I'm going to wear that I don't want to go into the wash. 
I know it's confusing, but it makes total sense to me. My wife is over there pulling her hair out because she doesn't understand this. Does anybody else struggle with that? Okay, a few guys. All right, thank you. But the idea here is Paul says you put off these things and you're putting on other things. Paul says in Romans 6, 6, that the old man was crucified with Christ. And in verse 9 of our text here, he says that we have in fact laid it aside. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off, you've laid it aside, the old self with its practices. There are some that contend that believers do not have two natures as an old and a new, uh, but only the new, as Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. But even Paul, who saw the resurrected Lord Jesus, was made an apostle, he planted several churches, wrote a third of the New Testament, and suffered greatly for the cause of Christ, made it clear that he himself still had an inclination towards sin that remained in him as he gave his testimony about this in Romans 7, 14 through 25. You can call it the flesh, the old nature, indwelling sin, but saying that it no longer exists is to deny both experience and what the scriptures do teach. When we trusted Christ and believed in Christ, positionally, we put off the old man and put on the new man. But now in practice, we must learn to put off the old and put on the new. That is what discipline is. That is the discipline of the Christian life of saying no to sin and saying no to those sinful uh, uh, things that, that want to control us and we, we put them off, we put them aside, and we make new habits. And so we must learn to put off the old, put on the new every time we are tempted to sin. This is why the gospel is central to this. We must remind ourselves daily, constantly of the gospel, that Jesus has died for our sins. We have died in Christ. Jesus has resurrected to new life. We have been resurrected to new life. Positionally in Christ, I have died to sin, and I've been resurrected to new life. And in practice, I am to die to myself, put off the old, and in practice, I'm supposed to be putting on the new because I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ. And so we must live out the gospel. We practice what we are in God's sight by putting off the old man and putting on the new man. We do this by the virtue of our union with the risen Savior is what Colossians 3.3 3 says here. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so Paul puts it another way in Romans 6, 8 through 11. Because we died with Christ, we must now reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let's look here specifically. There's three things here in our text that Paul says about this new man. Number one, the new man is created by God, not by human effort. Notice the text. Look what he says here. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The new man which we have put on 
is being renewed to a true knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul is referring actually to Genesis 1.27 here, where God created Adam and Eve in his own image. Remember that? But what happened to that image? It was marred. It fell into sin. The image became distorted. Right? That's why all of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. That's why we need Christ, right? Because you yourself cannot do anything to get into heaven. doesn't matter how many good things you do. doesn't matter how righteous you think you are. Right? You need the righteousness of God to renew you, to make you a new creature in Christ. And Christ is that new Adam, is what 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says. And he's creating a new people through the new birth in John chapter 1, 12 through 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, which are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. They were born of God, nothing that we do on ourselves. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 6 through 7, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The flesh has no ability to resurrect itself to new life. What can a dead man do? Stink. That's it. You have no power whatsoever of your own because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And so what do you need? need? You need life. You need resurrection life brought to you that only comes through God himself. And that is made way through the way of the gospel. And so the Spirit of God must cause us to be born again is what 1 Peter 1, 3-3 says. So becoming a Christian and living as a Christian is not a moral improvement project where you resolve to turn over a new leaf. It requires nothing less than God powerfully imparting new life into you. And without that new life, you are as what the, in the flesh, the old man. And Paul says in Romans 8.8 8, that those in the flesh cannot please God. So if you've never repented of your sins, you've never trusted in Christ, you never believe the gospel, then you need to repent and believe in Jesus and turn from your sin and trust Christ as the only way of salvation. And the result of that will be a life of truthfulness um, because it's part of the fruit of the new man. Here's the second thing that we see from this. Number two, the new man is in the process of being renewed. Paul says again in verse number 10, the new man is being renewed. This points to the process of growth, similar to what takes place in our physical life. If you go over to our house, uh, there between the kitchen and the dining room, there's a little entryway there. And on that entryway, uh, there are marks with dates. And those are growth dates where Evelyn goes, all right, measure me today. All right, we just measured you yesterday. I doubt that you've grown anything, right? 
But we can see those marks from uh, probably, I think it was like 2017. Uh, those dates are on there. And you can see times where there's big growth, and then there's times where it's just a little tiny bit. And this time here might have been a whole month. This time over here might have been three months. But there's growth that is happening, and it's constant, and we can see that. The same thing in our, in our Christian life. The new man is being renewed every single day. And I would caution you to not look at other Christians' life and say, well, I'm not there. Well, of course you're not there. Because God is growing you at what he wants you to grow at. But there is growth there. Sometimes it may be a big growth spurt, but sometimes it may just be just a little bit. But rest assured, you are being renewed day by day. And we're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. The cells of our bodies are constantly being renewed as we grow from infancy to adulthood. And of course, due to death, stemming from the fall of our physical bodies, eventually stop being renewed. And what happens? We start falling apart. The medical industry has made, made quite a tidy, tidy sum, haven't they? Selling uh, skin creams that can wipe away 70 years of wrinkles, right? I, I, I sometimes get, get a chuckle at some of this stuff that they sell. I mean, spray paint for your hair that's falling out, right? We have hip replacements and, and knee replacements. I, I find it so funny sometimes you talk to people. We've had people that had, uh, you know, hip replacements and knee replacements in here. And you talk to them, and it's almost like they're taking their car in to get overhauled. You know, oh, yeah, I got both my knees done this week, and next week I'm going in for my elbow, and uh, next week it'll be a brain replacement, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Right? We're falling apart. But the new man, the inner man, is being renewed day by day, and it's something that never stops. And what is it, what is it being renewed in? After the image of its creator. So how is the inner man being renewed? This process occurs by the renewing of our minds. That's Romans 12, 2. I uh, beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, Right? And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, Ephesians 4.23 tells us that it happens through the word of God, which is the truth, John 17.17. 17. His word sanctifies and revives us, that's Psalm 19.7-14, Psalms 119.25, and also verse number 50 and 93, verse 107, verse 149, verse 154. Verse 156, in 1 Peter 2.2, it states that in order for us to grow up in our salvation, we must, as a newborn infant, long for the pure spiritual milk. It's such a great thing to see mothers with uh, new babies because those babies are desiring milk. They're not going to drink a Dr. Pepper, right? They long for the spiritual milk. We as believers should be longing for spiritual milk from God's word. 
And if we're not feeding on it, guess what? Your growth is not going to happen. And so you've got to be in the Word. Here's the third thing. The new man is growing in the knowledge of God to become like Christ. Notice again, verse number 10. Paul says that this new man which we have put on is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now take word of that word knowledge there. It refers to the knowledge of Christ, as Colossians 2.3 says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This includes the academic knowledge of what the Bible teaches about God and Christ, which is what we call theology. Uh, You might say, well, Mike, I'm not in for all that theology. No, the truth is all of us are theologians because what you believe about God is how you actually live your life. And already you have things that you already believe about God, whether they be true or whether they be false. God's word is what tells us exactly who God is. And sometimes what we think about who God is, what Christ says and what Christ has done and who uh, the Holy Spirit is, sometimes those things are skewed. And so what do we have to do? We don't rely upon our traditions. We shouldn't rely upon, well, that's the way I was brought up. No, we go to the word of God and we say, what does the word of God teach us? And that's how we get our correct theology about things. And so we got to be growing in this We are being renewed after the image of its creator. Isaiah 65, 16 teaches us that God is the God of truth. And as the creator, all truth comes from him because he is truth. He is the measure of reality by which all else is measured. Do you understand why our world is in the state that it's in today? It's because people are denying truth. They're coming up with fantasies, with things that are not, I mean, just straight out science fiction here, right? People are denying truth, and they say, well, I got my own truth. There's only one truth, folks, that's it. There's not your truth and his truth and her truth. There's one truth, that's it. And so if we deny the truth that is revealed to us, then we're denying what God says. And our world is totally screwed up today because they're believing all kinds of things that aren't truthful, right? As the creator, all truth comes from him. Jesus said that God's word is truth in John 17, 17. Titus 1, 2 says that God cannot lie. Jesus claimed not merely to speak the truth and bear witness to the truth, but that he is the truth in John 8, 45, also in John 18, 37, and also John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, right? The Holy Spirit, we are told, is the spirit of truth. That's John 14, 17. John 15, 26, John 16, 13, and also 1 John 5, 7. Now, by way of contrast to all of this, Satan is a liar, and he is the father of lies. That's John 8, 44. And so, when we lie, what we are actually doing is we are being satanic. 
Because we are practicing the very thing that Satan does. We are practicing Satanism. Because we are lying. Proverbs 6, 16-19 says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Here they are. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. In that short list of those seven things that God hates, two of the things mentioned there are a lying tongue and a false witness that speaks lies. God hates lying. He hates it. It's an abomination to Him. And as Christians, as believers in Christ, if we have put on the new man in Christ... What should we be doing? Putting off these practices and not entertaining them, not participating in them. When we think about that, that God despises lying, our human scale, we sometimes think, well, lying really doesn't rank high up on there, right? But what about on God's scale, right? God hates it, and it's an abomination to him. And so God is saying, here are seven things I despise that are an abomination, that are particularly repulsive in my sight, and lying is two of them. Proverbs 12, says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. So as new creatures in Christ created by God, growing to be more like him, right? We must put aside all lying and falsehood. We must show that the gospel not only has made a change in our life, but is making a change in our life continually as we put these things aside and put them away because we should be people that are marked by truth. Here's the last thing. We should not lie to one another because we are members of the same body. Now here in verse number 11, Paul continues this thought, right? He's talking about the the image of its creator. He's talking about the body, right, of Christ. And he says here in this, in the body of Christ, verse number 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul is here is saying that all such national former religious, racial, and cultural distinctions are false for those in Christ. There's no divisions in the body of Christ. There should not be any divisions in the body of Christ. And he's talking about the body here. He's saying, hey, look, we're all part of the body. And in fact, in uh, Ephesians there, he talks about do not lie to one another. Why? Because we are members of one another. In that verse uh, that he talks about that we are members of one another, Paul is actually quoting Zechariah 8.16 where the Jews as restored people of God are exhorted to speak truth to one another. But Paul adds this reason. Why? Because we are members of one another. Because we are part of the body of Christ. You see, our relationships with others depend on the truth. They do. 
Getting to know another person more deeply involves getting to know the truth about that person. And if there's deception or withholding the truth, there will be a corresponding distance in that relationship. Not every relationship, of course, can be deeply intimate. We understand that. And we can only be very close with a very few, but there must be truth in love so that we can properly learn how to relate with one another. We must be open with one another, right? And if we want to relate to one another as God's people, helping each other to become all that God wants us to be, truth must be at the heart of being rightly related to one another. You see, the health of your physical body depends on truthful communication between the members through your nervous system. Our brother uh, Sean here uh, last year for the 4th of July had some uh, sparklers. And as he was lighting one of those sparklers, not exactly sure all that happened, all I noticed is I hear, ah! And then right away, holding his hand, running into the house, and he burnt his hand. There was truthful communication between his body and his nervous system. His hand got burned, and his nervous system said, hey, something just happened. You need help. Right? That's what happened. And so he ran into the house and got medical attention, which is awesome because he can do it himself. Right? So truthfulness relies upon that. If his body was not being truthful to his nervous system, hey, Sean, your hand's on fire. Oh, okay. Right? That's why truthfulness must be part of the body of Christ. Because when we're not truthful, we cannot communicate correctly with one another. And so it's important that we do this. And so I ask you, are you walking truthfully before God? You know, he knows everything about you, but you must walk in light with him, opening all of your life to him. You have to be open to all of your dirty closets before him for cleaning. Hiding your sin from God is a sure way to drift away from him. I ask you, are you walking truthfully with your family and with the family of God? You know, it's very easy for us to be very superficial, to hide behind a mask. It's easier not to clear up our relational problems by going to the person and speaking the truth in love. But if we don't make the effort to relate truthfully, we don't reflect the new man, which we say that we've put on in Christ. And so be truthful. Put away lying. Put away falsehood and speak the truth because we are members with one another. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.